0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the main event. The following podcast will take you back in time to rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling. It's time to go old school. This is Beyond the Bound.
1: the bell is back ring announcer Sean Beckerman here with you to cover all things nostalgia in the world of sports entertainment tonight BTV goes world-class with the milestones of world-class championship wrestling the year is 1986 so let's kick things off with a monumental event that took place in 86 and that was Kerry Von Erich's motorcycle accident the life of Carrie Jean Atkinson changed forever on June 4th, 1986. This was when a motorcycle that he was riding hit a parked police car. Carrie, who was riding barefoot, had apparently gotten his right foot caught in the rack of lights atop the squad car. This nearly ripped his entire foot straight off. Doctors at Baylor Hospital performed hours of delicate surgery in order to try to save his foot. Ultimately, they had to fuse the ankle in order for Carey to be able to use it even somewhat properly. At the time of the accident, Carey was world class's most popular superstar by far, and his lengthy absence due to the injury was a factor in attendance dropping throughout the area. Although fans were told Carey would not be out of action for long, fans started to think differently after seeing Carey struggling on crutches for nearly 18 months. Trying to rush back to the squared circle was the greatest mistake of the young warrior's life. He attempted his initial comeback against Brian Adias in February of 1987. Although Carey and Adias wrestled a very cautious match, Carey re-injured the foot to the extent where doctors had to amputate it. In what was at the time one of the sport's greatest secrets, Kerry returned to professional wrestling full-time with the help of a prosthetic foot, which Kerry was able to conceal with a larger wrestling boot. It wasn't until 1988 during a match against Colonel De Beers in Las Vegas, in which De Beers accidentally ...pulled Kerry's right boot off along with the prosthesis that the dirt sheet writers caught on to the fact that Kerry had lost his foot. It should be noted though that it never got mainstream attention until after he had passed away. Remarkably, Kerry Von Erich was seemingly better than ever in the eyes of wrestling fans. He was still able to throw an effective drop kick, run around the ring, and perform seemingly death-defying moves. However, this facade came with a big price... Another secret Kerry had to keep from the fans. This was due to the constant pain he was in. Kerry became addicted to painkillers and later harder drugs. This addiction would cause Kerry's life to spiral out of control. Though he did hold the Intercontinental Championship during his only tenure in the WWF, Kerry fell deeper into depression and addiction, which would ultimately cause grave consequences.
0: We lived dangerous. Maybe that was it. I mean, not dangerous, maybe kind of reckless. I felt like there had to be some reason for all this. It kept happening. But as far as a curse or anything like that goes, I I can't swallow that.
2: In the history of wrestling, who would you say is the greatest wrestler of all time? Bill Mercer announced the Von Erich matches during their heyday. (laughs) That's a really leading question, don't you think? What do you think the answer's going to be there? I would say Fritz Von Erich. He was one of the most exciting, most uh, hated villains in wrestling back in those days. Fritz von Erich and the Iron Claw, and uh, he, uh, he devastated people. The dynasty began with Fritz's role as the German bomber. Wrestlers told me that they hated to ras- wrestle Fritz because he was such a hard-handed person.
3: Oh, did you see Fritz von Erich then the master of the Iron Claw, catches Joe Blanchard coming off the rope and is applying the Iron Claw to him right now. People
2: ask you, is this real or is this not? With Fritz, everything was real. Outside the ring, this evil villain was Jack Atkison, an all-American good guy who married his college sweetheart, Doris.
0: After the matches, I was, I was, I guess, Jack Atkison then. I was a father, loved my children, loved my wife. I only know that my children were, were good, healthy boys. They were raised properly, I think. Raised a lot of love, and uh, they were raised with discipline.
2: Critics claim there was too much discipline, that the man who's known for the Iron Claw ruled his family with an iron
0: fist i love those boys and uh, they love me that doesn't mean that when they were out of line didn't get their fannies torn up because they did
2: but his sons maintain fritz's firm hand mixed with his soft heart is what forged them into world champions
1: wccw pulls out of the nwa Once a cohesive organization of territorial promotions, primarily throughout North America, the National Wrestling Alliance by the mid-80s was only a shell of its former collective self. With his own wrestler, Ric Flair, as NWA World Champion, Mid-Atlantic promoter Jim Crockett Jr. took hold of the title, attempting to make the traveling NWA World Champion a thing of the past by making territorial title defenses fewer and more expensive for less affluent promotions. Unlike in the past, when Jack Atkinson, Fritz, was in former St. Louis promoter and NWA president Sam Mushnick's inner circle, Atkinson now saw a shift in the balance of power go solely towards Crockett, and having his world-class promotion in the National Wrestling Alliance was no longer to his advantage. On February 20th of 86, Atkinson made the difficult decision of withdrawing world-classes membership from the NWA and operating his promotion now called the World-Class Wrestling Association independently. Ravishing Rick Rude, who had held the NWA American Heavyweight title at the time, officially became WCCW's first recognized world champion.
2: Hey kids, look at this!
0: Just for you, hot off the presses, the official Von Eric Family Wrestling Championship game. Now you have a chance to prove you have what it takes to be a world-class champion.
1: A few quick chops, headbutts, atomic drops, then you take your opponent down for the pin. But you can only win this game by playing TV Pal. And you gotta be a member of the Good Time Gang to play. So keep watching TV 39 for sign-up information in one, two, three. You win! Ken Mantel leaves WCCW. In May of that year, shortly after the third annual Parade of Champions, Mid South wrestling promoter Bill Watts set his plan of national expansion similar to the World Wrestling Federation and Jim Crockett promotions. So Watts sent it into motion when he hired Ken Mantell away from WCCW to be his primary booker. This was in hopes of luring faithful world-class fans to his newly renamed Universal Wrestling Federation, the UWF. Mantell, who was highly respected by both Fritz and the talent in world class, he was a valuable brain trust behind the scenes of WCCW. And after David Von Erich's tragic passing in February of 84, Mantell was often thought of as Fritz's go-to guy. He was able to lure many of his old associates, including the fabulous Freebirds, Iceman King Parsons, Chris Adams, Skandar Akbar, Missy Hyatt, John Tatum, Sunshine, The Missing Link, One Man Gang, Kamala, just to name a few, over to the revamped Mid-South area, where they would be featured prominently on Watts's weekly television program. World class began to decline sharply in the latter half of 86 as the Texas oil recession, which accounted for many job losses throughout the state of Texas, resulted in the declining attendance at WCCW house shows. The near fatal motorcycle accident of Kerry, which would keep him out of full-time action for nearly 18 months, would be the final nail in the coffin for an organization that had been vastly successful just a few short months prior. After Watts sold the UWF to Jim Crockett Jr., Mantell went on to start his own professional wrestling promotion based out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, known as the Wild West Wrestling. He would merge the company with World Class upon becoming a part owner of WCW, along with Kevin and Kerry, in early of 88. We'll get more into that. This was after Fritz sold his highly once successful promotion in the Texas-based region.
3: We're going to show you the ropes. At Pizza Inn, when it comes
0: to original thin-crust pizza, nothing can beat it, except cheesy pan pizza. Come on, you guys, call it a draw. With the all-you-can-eat buffet, you can always go back for more. All the pizza, salad, and muffins you can handle, made with the freshest ingredients, for a super low price.
3: I just got a new Pizza and phone for $14.95. Well, I want one of those, too. Give me that. <laughs> Hello? This for you, Captain. Hello?
1: we bridge into our next topic off of the Ken Mantell discussion. This was when the UWF Talent Raid took place. During the peak years of its popularity, world class was booked brilliantly by Ken Mantel, like we mentioned, with brother Johnny. They were Texas wrestling mainstays throughout the 70s and early 80s. Then this year in 86, Chris Adams returns to the ring after being blinded on January 27th At the Tarrant County Convention Center in Fort Worth, the former dynamic duo tandem of Gino Hernandez and Chris Adams squared off in what world-class fans thought would be the first of many encounters between the ex-tag team partners. There would, however, be a major stipulation to this bout. The loser, as both Hernandez and Adams had upon losing to Kevin and Kerry at the Cotton Bowl the previous October, would lose his hair once again. The match, though, came to an abrupt end when the dastardly Hernandez took a vial of the Freebird hair cream which awaited the loser and threw it directly into Adam's eye. As Chris fell to the mat in severe agony, several world-class referees rushed to ringside and tried to wash out his eyes, using water as well as soft drinks from several ringside fans. World-class was banking on huge box office gates for the breakup and feud of the dynamic duo, but tragedy struck, Gino Hernandez dies... On February 4th, 1986, Charles Wolf, better known to the wrestling fans, of course, as the handsome half-breed, he was found dead in the bedroom of his condo in the Highland Park section of Dallas. Hernandez, at the time of his passing, was world class's top heel and was readying for a big program with former Dynamic Duo partner Chris Adams. His passing had evidently occurred less than a week after the duo's bout on January 27th. At Will Rogers Coliseum in Fort Worth, in which Gino blinded Adams with Freebird hair cream during a hair versus hair bout. Gino, often described by his peers as a heat machine, he excelled at his role as a wrestling heel. He had unlimited amount of charisma and knew how to draw the ire of the most placid. Wrestling fan in attendance on any given night. The death, which the Dallas coroner's office ruled as a cocaine overdose, shocked the professional wrestling world as it occurred at a time when wrestlers were not dying at the alarming rate that many would grow accustomed to, unfortunately, to the 1990s and into the 21st century. World-class referees David Manning and Rick Hazard, along with Gino's friend, Walter Amon, found Gino's badly decomposed body sprawled on the floor beside his bed, with no evidence of forced entry or trauma. Incredibly, though, in those days of strict kayfabe, wrestling fans actually believed that Gino's ex-tag team partner, Chris Adams, might have committed the crime to avenge his blinding from a few days earlier a notion that the law enforcement authorities quickly dismissed, of course. The year of 86, which saw world Class's separation, like we mentioned, from the NWA, it proved to be world-class's most newsworthy year to date. Announcer Bill Mercer treated the real-life tragedy of Geno's death and the fictitious blinding of Adams as being equally significant in order to protect kayfabe, which is a not-so-unusual approach to matters at that time in the industry. Now will be very, very, very different. To try and salvage this once hot angle and maintain kayfabe. Adams went back to England to ponder the last year, basically the last year and a half of his life. The idea, seemingly, was for Chris to sell the blindness for a few months, then return to set up a showdown match with Gino at the upcoming Parade of Champions card at Texas Stadium. Remarkably, Scotland Yard contacted and questioned Adams in regards to Gino's death, as the blinding angle apparently led numerous fans to believe that Chris might have sought revenge against Hernandez. Shortly before Adams' return, Bill Mercer interviewed the gentleman at his home. To set the wheels in motion for his babyface turn, Adams expressed thankfulness for regaining his sight and that he regretted his past actions. Adams would be back wrestling in world class with an eye patch by early April and would go on to win the WCWA world title from Ravishing Recruit a few months later.
3: Death came to Gino Hernandez. Wrestling fans were shocked at the sudden end to one of the brightest careers in the game. His friends were saddened by an irreplaceable loss of a vibrant young spirit. To his mother and sister, it was a tragedy of indescribable magnitude. Gino started his wrestling career here in Houston within days of his 18th birthday, but that was not the beginning. It was the continuation of a dream that had obsessed him since the death of his stepfather following a match in Tokyo, Japan. It took a lot of hard work to increase his weight and strength to the level he wanted them. But when experience and sweat combined, he received the worldwide recognition he had well earned. But more than that, Gino had a way of attracting friends. He had a way of using his God-given talents to reach out and touch those who had not been blessed. He will be remembered as a fine young athlete who had won many honors. But perhaps the greatest accolade will come from those who recall that he helped them just by a word, or a touch, or perhaps just by being Gino. It's difficult, very difficult, to say goodbye to a friend in public. For each of us, grief is a private emotion. What words cannot say we have put into an expression in video, prepared here in the studios of Channel 39 by Ed Worthington, and we play it on this program because Gino appeared here so many hundreds of times. It's our expression of our feelings toward him and our love to his family.
0: And now the end is near and so I face the final curtain, my friend, I'll say it clear, i stayed my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived, life is full, I've traveled each, and every highway, no more, it's more than this. I did it isn't my way. Regrets,
1: I've had a few,
0: but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and sow it through without exemption. I planned. I share the losing, and now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, no, no. Did
3: the youngest guy to ever wrestle in Madison Square Garden at the age of 19. I've been uh, the American heavyweight champion. I've been the world junior heavyweight champion. One half of the world tag team champion. I've, uh, I've been uh, the youngest man to ever wrestle in the arena Mexico in Mexico City. I've uh, been the youngest man to hold the American heavyweight title. I won that in Cobo Arena in Detroit, Michigan. I've, uh, I know for a fact that I uh, was one of the youngest wrestlers ever to go, toward Japan, and uh, I know for a fact also that I'm the youngest man to ever wrestle the world heavyweight champion, and I think I've accomplished more at the age of 23 in wrestling than most wrestlers accomplish accomplished in a lifetime. I watched Chris over the last year and a half of his life, headed down a path that I don't think that he could have changed even if he wanted to. Every one of my friends that's gone to
0: America in our profession has either come back in a box, in a wheelchair, or they've come back drug addicts.
2: You see things like this, you say, guys, some guys are not
0: thinking right in life, are they? These these are gang hieroglyphics. And 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 I think probably drugs involved. Yeah, you can decide at a a young age, you have a goal, you know, my goal in life is is to be up here and not always down here. And drugs don't help you, they'll be successful. Chris Adams is an addict. I would just like to say that I thought Chris Adams was a a great guy. He was disgusting whenever he wanted to be, just for a laugh. His name fit him perfect, the gentleman. When he wasn't sober, he'd been drinking, doing a few different substances. He was a great guy, he really was. Lights were on in this house and the living room was full of police. Found lots of prescription drugs, Valium, pain pills, Xanax. <laughs> if he put his mind to something, that he was going to make it, he was going to be famous. He had a magnetic personality. Everyone that met him liked him. Really, it was. It wasn't just the British accent. The girls loved that. I loved Chris Adams. This, this, oh gosh, the second I seen him, I was like, oh! and his accents, just like, totally. Totally, totally.
2: There were tremendous bouts, throwing 40,000 or more at Texas Stadium, filling the cotton bowl. It was an era of just unbelievable excitement, and Chris Adams was a major factor in that because of his super kick and all the other things that he could do.
0: We'd go book into a hotel, go to a gym, work out and then rest a little. Then we'd wrestle, and then after we'd wrestle, we'd go and party, and then we do the same the next day, and then the same the next day, and the
3: next day. Then there was an incident on an airplane that changed Chris's entire life.
2: The confrontation with Chris actually came when they decided he'd had enough to drink, and they tried
3: to cut him off, no more drinking. His eyes would kind of bug out, and he'd get red in the face, and you could see blood veins and vessels on his head he would just look like he was going to explode
0: and the psychiatrist said that
3: he was clinically depressed
0: he had uh stomped a desk clerk's face and really bad he had to get craniofacial reconstructive surgery chris couldn't just have one drink he had to drink till it was all gone whether
2: well, it was wrestling partying whatever he did he didn't stop
1: low level he went all the way to the top
0: these type of people Gravitate to stars and they supply drugs, they supply alcohol, they supply prostitutes. Then Chris had told me he started trying a drug called GHB.
3: With G in the clubs, in the strip joints, and we've seen so many of these guys that they end up dying or they end up killing somebody by accident. Yeah. He loved it. He loved it. When you're constantly putting these substances in yourself, you know, you're going to do crazy, stupid things. Chris fell in love with a beautiful, blonde-headed girl by the name of Linda Capence. Some friends of mine that had, that had known her, I guess dated her for a little while off and on, they found out she was working at um, a strip club. I said, well, I'll sit here and watch and see, you know, if there's gonna be a problem. And, uh, there was a problem.
0: I can't believe that you're saying this, that he murdered her. The phone rang, and it was Chris, and Chris was just screaming. He made it his business to cut our legs out right from under us. Now, if you don't stay out of my business and quit messing with me, you're going to end up just like Linda. And this detective became very interested in this recording. Mr. Chris Adams was indicted on one count of manslaughter and people do get the wrong idea like that we're um, girl chasing uh, wrestling stars or, or we're good time chasing wrestling stars or whatever but over the last few years reality has set in and I really believe that life is all about our children
3: it's all about our family.
0: He was always Talking about wanting to change for the better, wanting to quit drinking, and wanting to live right, and just live for the family. I saw more of that after he became a Christian.
3: And I reached my hand up towards him and just said, Jesus. And the power of God picked that man up and threw him against the wall. He got up and shook his head. He said, what was that? And I said, it was the love of God. And uh, come on now. Nobody would work him. Wrestling. Uh, the other thing was uh, he owed the IRS in excess of fifty or sixty thousand dollars.
0: He was feeling really, really depressed, I, I could feel you know there was something wrong. And he goes, "Hey Lori, I guess, I guess I I I really I need to borrow twenty dollars. I need to borrow twenty dollars."
3: He just kept getting stronger, and uh, that's when I, I knew it was me or him.
1: Brian Ideas turned on LeVon Eriks. For much of 86, longtime veteran and close Atkinson family friend, Brian Ideas was going no further than the mid-card of world class. He didn't really draw a reaction from the WCCW fan base during the fall of that year. So having suffered their most lackluster year by far with the passing of Geno, the severe injury, like we said, of carry so much going on UWF... World Class attempted to reactivate one of professional wrestling's most successful and effective angles, having a close friend turn his back on a popular favorite. In what was built as a friendly scientific match between Edius and Mike Von Erich, Edias, as Gentleman Chris Adams had done to Mike's brother, Kevin, a few years earlier, turned on Mike toward the end of the match. A week later, after childhood friend Ke- Kerry Von Erich called out Adidas in Fort Worth and demanded an explanation for Brian's previous behavior, former world-class superstar Al Madrill revealed that it was he who had put Brian up to the turn by claiming that the Von Erics had held Brian back. Brian then proceeded to attack Kerry, who was still on crutches following his motorcycle accident. Adidas and Madrill began teaming regularly and would go on to win the world-class tag team titles. WCCW hoped to revisit past glories by having them both feud with Kevin and Mike, but the feud failed to generate the ticket sales of television viewership that Devon Eric's feuds with earlier the Freebirds or the Dynamic Duo had done previously. A big event was when WCCW established the Open Door Policy. Professional wrestling promoters were forced in the late 80s to put their talent under contract to avoid talent raids by their competitors. We mentioned previously what took place this year in WCCW. World Class was no longer in a position to make long-term offers to its talent. By 1988, WCCW television was merely a shell of its former self, and the office knew something had to be done to breathe some much-needed life into lackluster television programming, and its by now sparsely attended house shows. A somewhat temporary solution seemed to present itself when the promotion established an open-door policy which would allow wrestlers not otherwise associated with world class to wrestle under the promotion's banner as often as they chose. Wrestlers such as then-WWA champion Mike George, Robert Gibson, Ron Starr, Kendall Windham, Pat Tanaka, and Austin Idol came to wrestle for world class at different times during this period and they were formally introduced by then WCCW matchmaker Frank Dusick on television. The open-door policy would help the world-class promotion utilize those veterans not under contract to the WWF or NWA to help keep television programming fresh, and more importantly, you know, false bolster attendance at live events without being obligated to hold onto them via a contract. Now, I think you see it more prevalent. During the Monday Night War, that didn't happen. They were signed to strict contracts. Occasionally, you'll see maybe a Legends deal be uh, developed for a former star, where they'll come out sparsely on on television or occasionally. Or in TNA, maybe they'll make a one off appearance, will assign a certain superstar, or you'll see, uh, you could say, quote unquote, a wrestling pop in, where they're not signed to an agreement, but just do a one off appearance. But back then, this was the development of those long term. Sign contracts, and we'll wrap up '86 by discussing the Texas economy going belly up. Now we'll recap everything that happened in this historic and uh, traumatic year of 1986 in WCCW history with the sudden death of the promotion's top heel, Gino Hernandez in January, the indefinite layoff of Kerry in June. Can Mantell leaving to the UWF? Many wrestling insiders wondered what else a single promotion would have to endure in such a relatively short period of time. They were to soon find out. In the summer of 86, the state of Texas's petroleum economy had declined at such an alarming rate that thousands of local Dallas-Fort Worth residents suddenly became unemployed. This obviously caused a lot of families to tighten their belts, leaving little surplus cash available to for leisure activities. For thousands of Dallas-Fort Worth area residents, it included attending world-class championship wrestling house shows. From May onwards, attendance uh, at world-class cards dropped considerably. I would that's that's to be very conservative at saying, to say the least they dropped considerably. Just the year before, at the height of the von Erich Dynamic Duo wars, the promotion was drawing turnaway crowds. Now, though, WCCW’s regular venues, some of which held 10 to 15,000, were lucky to have a thousand fans in attendance. That dramatic. The promotion at this point seemed to be struggling with little direction. With surprisingly substandard booking, popular angles were being rehashed with little success. Television-made events consisted of matches with little build-up, making them seem less important to the viewer, and numerous wrestlers who had been lower to mid-card in other regions were now received top billing in WCCW. Not only did the talent drift away, but Bill Watts began booking his promotion in popular world-class venues. Watts' roster at the time consisted of you had the Freebirds, Dr. Dusty Williams, Ted DiBiase, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Eddie Gilbert, among other stars, he was seen to be being equally talented as anyone working for the WWF or the NWA. While a typical World Class main event during this period would consist of, say, Master G versus Lance Von Erich. The once mighty World Class seemed to have surely fallen. 1986 took a huge blow to the Atkinson family and world class championship wrestling.
2: Promotional consideration paid for by the following.
1: As we travel on the independent circuit, it's time to thank the sponsors of Beyond the Bell. Hey, they're making wrestling t-shirts cool again to wear. Barber Shop Window. Come on, jump on the bandwagon. Colt Cabana Cliff Compton, the big LG. $5 wrestling the official merchandise of all of those stars can be found at Barbershop Window. From hashtag heel to I broke Wahoo's leg, they carry it all. Follow them at B Shop Window and go to barbershopwindow.com now. And come on, make that wrestling wardrobe cool again to wear. Combat Zone Wrestling is on DVD and streaming on your computer, tablet, or smartphone. Go to czwrestling.com now and get ultra violent with Combat Zone Wrestling. Damn That's Wrestling returns to South Jersey, Vineland, New Jersey, to be exact, this upcoming summer. Go to DTWWrestling.com now for more information on Damn That's Wrestling this summer. Catch the stars of DTW, Savio Vega grand apollo little guido big Vito, just incredible and many many more so go to dtwwrestling.com now and purchase tickets for the summer extravaganza for damn that's wrestling the nwa the national wrestling alliance tried tested revered tradition was born with the nwa Join the dangerous adrenaline wrestling gladiators group, the NWA Dog, on Facebook and YouTube, where you can find all the latest news and upcoming events. Also, go to NWAWrestling.org, the National Wrestling Alliance, the SNS Radio Network, your home for all things related to professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, and video gaming. Yes, Unplugged is back. You heard correct fans. Jeff Jackson returns with the Bronx. Tony Mirabella, the Bronx father, and JJ Sexy are the hosts of the brand new Unplugged, returning on the SNS Radio Network. Led by the flagship show Wrestling News Live and Sunday Night Showdown, check out SNSRadioNetwork.com now. If you're not listening, you're not trying. Connect socially to be on the bell. On Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Tout, at Sean Beckerman. You can stream and download all archive shows and brand new episodes at ringannouncing.com, snsradionetwork.com, as well, get them directly on your smartphone via the Stitcher and TuneIn radio apps. So hop in that DeLorean and go back in time and relive all things retro in wrestling with Beyond the Bell. Well, that wraps up a milestone edition of Beyond the Bell, powered by the SNS Radio Network. 1986 is in the books, in the history of world-class championship wrestling. A very controversial and transitional year for the Texas-based promotion. With the economy changing, the deaths of certain stars... The accident by one Kerry Von Erich. What would the future hold now for world-class championship wrestling going into 1987? Some could look back and say the promotion was never the same after the year 1986. I would like to personally thank all of you for coming on this ride, on this journey of world-class memories. I also apologize for having some delay in between shows. Been very hectic in the Beckerman household. But we should get back to the full swing of things in the coming weeks. We may actually see the return of This Week in Wrestling on the SNS Radio Network. Stay tuned for that, fans. But let's wrap it up and take it home with some old school music. The year was 1986, and this year debuted one of my favorite songs of all time. It really doesn't have anything to do with WCCW, but... I love this song. Originally, I was going to play one of the music video themes that WCCW used during this time period. But let's relive and recap that year. Let's go back in that capsule, shall we say, that time capsule. The year 1986, the artist was Robert Palmer. The song was Addicted to Love. One of my favorites, love the beat, you can call me corny, if you do not bob your head a little bit to this theme, especially the the beginning, you are not a music fan. Or maybe you just don't like corny music like I do. So let's wrap it up, a very special old school theme of the week, Robert Palmer time here on Beyond the Bell. Until next week, fans, when we rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling, I'm your personal ring announcer Sean Beckerman signing off. Until next week, I'll see you at the matches.